So this uh, reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have your phone and you want to look at it there, it'll also be, it'll also be up, on the, up on the screen. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. See, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame." To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner. And a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's own people in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's the end of the reading. I want to flash back with that. With that, that, that is a little bit of background. I want to flash back to that John chapter 14 reading. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I think at many points in our lives, and maybe almost every day, if you read the news, it'd be nice to have that like plastered up on the mirror in your bathroom <laughs> or on, you know, somewhere in your car. <laughs> because there's a lot for our hearts to be troubled about. For the disciples in this passage, they, you know, they had come to this time, they'd been following Jesus, and, and they had all kinds of ideas about where that was going, about where, um, about where Jesus was leading them. What they hoped, of course, was that Jesus was going to cause a revolution, a political revolution, um, a theological revolution, all those sorts of things that he was going to sort of lead them into battle, as it were, to... to to kick out the Romans and to, and to put you know, this theophany, this, this, this theological um, belief system back in place, that, that God would be in God's rightful place, that the temple would become, again, the center of everything. All, all, I'm sure, all of those things, because that was the history of the Jews, that the, the promised one, the anointed one, the Messiah, that's what they believed that Messiah was going to do. And so in, in this section of John, what we're hearing is that, that's, that Jesus is beginning to tell them that's not what's going to happen. They're there for the Passover, so this is the, this is the most powerful story for the Jewish people. is the Passover and the Exodus. Passover is, is, just, is, that, is this thing, you know, that, that, that where they, they leave Egypt after 400 years of slavery. That is the central story still to this day for the Jewish people. Is that once they were not, they were, you know, not in their homeland... 
and then they were going to, and they were slaves, and they were going to be, and they were going to come back. And so here they are. They're in in Jerusalem, um, the holy city, on the eve of the Passover, um, or maybe on the Passover, and and they're having this meal. And Jesus, of course, as we know, um, institutes the Lord's Supper. He 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 gets uh, take, gets up from the table. He takes off his his robe. He puts a towel around him. He washes their feet, and he says, "Do as I would do." He he. Um, he institutes a new commandment. And so, I mean, just start thinking about that a little bit. Like, all these things are happening. And if your expectation was, this is going to happen. Jesus is going to, you know, he's going he's to bring this revolution. This is why he's teaching us this. But then he begins to say, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to die. And they're starting to freak out a little bit. You see that Jesus, they've been talking about, in chapter 13 and such, they've been talking about how this has been sort of telling the story and there hasn't been much dialogue or interplay. And all of a sudden, you have the disciples start going, well, what's going on here? You know, Peter says, well, I'm going to go with you. And Jesus says, well, you're going you're to betray me. You're going to deny me. And then so the other ones, so then, but so then, but so he comes to this place and I know that Jesus is, has this sense that they're scared and they're worried. And so he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then, of course, it's this famous passage now that gets read at funerals all the time. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and I will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be. Like, this is a very comforting sort of thing. It's going to be okay. How many times has a mother said that to a child? It's going to be all right. We're going to get through this. We're going to make it. You know? Or maybe, depending on your mother, it's not as bad as you think it is. <laughs> Jesus doesn't quite go there. Maybe in a little bit he does. But, but, but then, of course, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to figure all this out. What does this mean? What, what does it mean he's going away? What does it mean he's preparing a place? What is it? What is what is all that about? And, and so Thomas is like, you know, um, Lord, how do we know the way to the place where you're going? You say we know the way, but what, what, what do you mean by that? We don't know the place where you're going. I mean, it, I don't know if he's imagining he's going to some other location. Who knows what's going on in his mind? And then Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And of course, many people have, have used this as, and then the next line, no one comes to the Father except through me, has used this as sort of the, the demarcation of if you're, not, if you're not a Christian, if you don't believe in Jesus, then you're going to hell and, and that's it. That's the way they've used, that's the way they've used this. And, and as I've been reading that this week, I don't get that sense here. What I get is the sense that Jesus is comforting them to say, you do know. Trust me. I'm the way. 
I'm the truth. I'm the life. When you see me, you see God. Don't you understand? God is present with you now because I am present with you here, now, and forever. It's a very comforting sort of thing. And, you know, that I'm not going to leave you abandoned. I'm not going to leave you alone. Later on, of course, Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with the comforter. And there's just a word of comfort here that Jesus is providing at a very difficult time for these disciples as they're trying to figure out, well, what is going on? Our leader says he's going away. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be killed. And he's going to ra- be, you know, rise on the third day. What, what is all that about? And Jesus says, if you know me, you know my father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. But I don't know about you. I mean, you know, even when mom says it's going to be all right. There's still that thought in my mind, I don't know if it's going to be all right. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And I know that our hearts get troubled. By death, by difficulty, by, you know, just things that are going on in the world, saying, where is is this all going to end up? What's going to happen if this happens and that happens and the other thing happens? Our minds are very quick to see, to see actions in the world like dominoes. And we say, oh, well, this happens and that's going to happen World War III. I mean, we can get there really, really fast because that's our brains, you know, our reptilian brain is like, be afraid, be very afraid, watch out for all danger. And, and you know, as we consume news which we want to be aware of what's going on in the world, you know, most of it is exciting that part of our brain. It's not helping the neocortex, which is about more of a visionary, more of a, more of a solution-based part of the brain. It's exciting that fear-based part of the brain because that's the one that gets the reaction. That's the one that gets the clicks with the mouse. That's the one that goes to Costco and buys the six months' worth of you know, freeze-dried food in the buckets. Right? <laughs> And so that's, do not let your hearts be troubled. I don't know if this has happened in your life, but there have been many points um, in my life where, where I've said in my prayer, okay, God, reveal yourself. Show me. Show me the way. Show me the path. Show me where this is going to end up. I just need a glimpse. Philip here says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Right? I mean, he's been saying, if you see me, you see God, you see the Father. And then Philip says, well, show us the Father. And Jesus says, um, knock, knock. I'm right here. The Father's right here. I mean, that's basically what he says. He says, have I been with you all this time? I mean, I don't, I don't think it's like totally sarcastic. But there's a little, there's a little thing in there, like, really, God, really, Philip, like, have I been with you this whole time, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you don't, then believe the works. 
Have you been with me this whole time? Have you seen all the stuff that's been flowing out of me, the healing and the teaching and, 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 all, and all of these things that are happening and just, and just the way you've been feeling and what I've been telling you about the kingdom that is here present and that is coming and yet you still need something more. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm with you. You've seen God. You know the very heart of God because you have seen me. You have, you have, you have been with me. And not only that, the message that I want to tell you is this message that then comes uh, in, in 1 Peter, which is not only that, but as you've seen me and you've seen God, you've been chosen. God has chosen you. Not just you, and not just a section of people, but God has chosen humanity and has invited all people into this royal priesthood to be set apart, not simply to be saved, not simply to to be reserved for some heavenly realm that's coming down later sometime, but to proclaim the mighty acts of God. Not just for ourselves, but in a sense, going back to Abraham's call. If you remember Abraham, Abraham gets called away from his home, gets called out. I'm going to make you a great nation. I want you to go. I'm not telling you where I'm sending you yet, but you're going to be a great nation. But you're going to be a great nation, not just for yourself. Not just to have a protectionistic policy around, around this chosen race. But so that you can be a blessing to all the nations. That all people would know of the grace and the salvation and the invitation to be this royal priesthood. What I love in First Peter is, no longer is it that just the priests and those who are specially designated are the ones who now get to be the ministers of the Lord, but that all people are brought into this and have a responsibility when they say yes to God and have, a, and have the duty and the honor of being those who would proclaim the mighty acts of God. That Christ, in, in, that Jesus, as the incarnation of God, take, of God taking on flesh, this, this mystery of being divine and human all at the same time, shows us a unity with us. And that when we are opened up to this invitation, we realize that we already are that chosen people. We already are those priests. We are already one with Christ, but we're also becoming one with Christ. And I think that's sometimes where our hearts get troubled. Because it's hard to be in that place. Okay, I am, and I'm not yet. <laughs> right? I, mean, I don't know about you, but there are some days where I just feel like, man, I, I am killing it. it is, life is beautiful. Like, everything is awesome. Like, it's just like, woo, walking on sunshine, you know, just everything. It's just, wow. You know? Walk away from interaction and just go, that was beautiful. 
Even if it was difficult, you know, it was, it was beautiful. I, I was there. I wasn't thinking about all this stuff and the impact it might have and what did people think of me and was my hair good and blah, 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 you know. But then there was days when it's like, all I can think about is, is my shirt tucked in? What did that person think of me? Did I say the wrong thing? And that's what's so interesting about this life of faith and becoming one with Christ is, is that we already are. In his life, in his death, in his resurrection, the whole message is, I have chosen you for something different than what you've been doing. I'm reconnecting you with the purpose that I created you for, which was to be a blessing on this earth. When God created everything, God said, this is good. When God created you, when God gave you the breath, of life, the Holy Spirit of God flowed through you, and God said, This is good. And when you enter into this life of faith, when you seek Him, when you long for that pure spiritual milk, and you want to be fed, and you want to grow, you are already made one with Christ, and yet you are becoming. And so there are going to be days where your hearts are going to be troubled, where everything is going to go sideways and upside down, and it may be for longer than just a day. But what's also beautiful is when you surround yourself with a community of faith, you, you, you never walk alone. Because if we're one with Christ, we have the opportunity to show forth the very heart of God in our lives. That when people see us, they might see Christ, and when they see Christ, they see the Father. What a beautiful opportunity that is. Harrowing, difficult, because we're dealing with other people. (laughs) And we're dealing with our own selves, our own difficulties, our own insecurities, our own troubles. But as we become one with Christ, what we hope and what I believe happens is that we become less tied to the actions of every day and more tied to the truth of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And then we can be the ones who proclaim the mighty acts of God. We can be the ones who are working in the community to do those mighty acts of God, to let people know that they are being drawn into a life with Christ. This week, let me, I'm going to go off on a tangent here a little bit. This week, um, on my Facebook feed, God forbid you ever watch your Facebook feed, but on my Facebook feed, there have been a number of things, a number of things that have been written, and, and, I, and I've seen... Um, a couple of things. One of them was um, there was a video about about some um, some folks who were doing something and they were getting sort of ridiculed by by some people in this in this public event. And somebody underneath of that wrote, "Oh, I'm sure those are Christians that are ridiculing them." Whew. Okay, I just went. My job just got harder. And then uh, recently, another post of some kind went up, and, and, and um, I would guess it was related to the president, because almost, almost every other thing in my Facebook feed is related to the president these days, good, bad, indifferent. Um, 
and, and someone said something, when I think of the most hateful and angry people in our country today, I first imagine Christians. Wow. That's not our call. To be hateful and angry and divisive. Our call is to proclaim the mighty acts of God for all people to show a love and a hope and a grace that knows no bounds, just like God's love, just like God's redemptive love. And so, I get it if you're hesitant about talking about the fact that you go to church on Sunday morning and that you pray and that you read the Bible and that you're trying to teach your kids how to do the same. I get it. But we need more Christians proclaiming the mighty acts of God in the way that I believe Jesus wants us to proclaim them. So that people's hearts can quit being troubled by the fact that it's Christians that are saying something. So as we become one with Christ, we're going to have to face that ourselves and to, and to face that what's going on, in, especially in our country and maybe around the world, with you know, this negative aspect of what it means to be a Christian. And we've got to hold tight onto the gospel of good news and the message of grace and redemption that Jesus has given to us all. Because we have been chosen, we have been set apart as a royal priesthood to draw other people in, to be built into a spiritual house with Christ as the cornerstone. And so may you, may you find the strength in Christ to know that you are one with him, that he is one with you, and that you are becoming that we're not always going to get it right, but we're going to keep striving in Christ. May you find the strength of the Spirit rising up in you in those times and places where you can say a word of hope, a word of invitation, a word of welcome to someone who is, feels like they are, have been pushed out of the church, who believe that Christians hate them and won't be helpful to them. May you be uplifted in your own faith knowing that, when, that you have seen Christ, and in Christ you have seen God. Amen.